0: This morning we're going to be starting a new sermon series, and it's called the Good Life. And we're going to be going through the Book of Proverbs, um, and so we're going to be understanding what does the Bible say about what a good life is. And so here, here's my—I'm just going to start us off with a question this morning. What do you think of when somebody says the good life? I know I have my own, uh, you know, subjective ideas of what the good life is. For me, the good life is sitting on a beach somewhere with, you know, Marianne coming up with a pina colada. (laughs) And we're both sitting there, and there's probably not another human being as far as the eye can see, and all I can hear are the waves crashing on the sand. You know, it's like a Corona commercial, right? It just zooms out, and all of a sudden you just see these people's feet just crisscrossed on. Or some of us might think, "Oh, the good life is, you know, um, my kids just always obey me, right?" Or um, I have enough money in my bank where I could just, like, I have an unending bank supply of money and I could just go buy whatever I want. And so, whenever I, someone says the good life, it's really subjective. Because we all kind of have our own hedonistic tendencies to kind of slip into you know, the hammock or whatever it is. I mean, I love the, the uh, reclusiveness of vacation. Marianne loves the New York hustle and bustle. Whatever your good life is, that's not what Scripture is talking about when it says the good life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, God, what is the good life? If it's not the subjective idea that I apply to what I think it is, and you have an objective life of what is good, an idea of what a good life is, well, wh- how do we find that? And the book of Proverbs helps us understand what it is, the good life. What it is for the believer, what it is for those of us who said we're Christians, we put our hope, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What is this good life if it's not just subjective, whatever I think it should be? And so can you give me a moment here and can we do a little bit of a teaching? Is that okay? Not really a preaching moment here, but I'm going to give you guys some, some handles on how we should approach the book of Proverbs. Um, So I'm going to give us nine things, and you can write these down. And and you know the cool thing about Proverbs? There's 31 of them. You can read one every day, and you can read for the month. And it's really easy to do, all right? So the reason why I'm saying that is because often we read the book of Proverbs wrongly, and so we kind of view it as something that is not. But as we go through the book of Proverbs and the series, it'd be helpful for you to be able to read one each day. And these things will help you kind of approach the book rightly. Okay? So number one, we should understand that every culture and every other religion has their own form of Proverbs. Right? whether you're a Buddhist or you're, uh, um, you're into Hinduism or Shintoism or whatever it is, every other religion and culture has their own form of ancient writings of wisdom. Now here's the difference between Proverbs for us. They're not just wise sayings, quid pro quos. They're not just a bunch of quips that we just go, oh, that was good and that's helpful and that'll change my life. They're actually the words of God himself and what you'll find also with other other proverbs or even worldly proverbs they contradict themselves sometimes scripture never contradicts itself so here's an example Uh, too many chefs spoil the stew right isn't that a proverb kind of a worldly proverb is it kind of a saying well then on the other side of it is like uh many hands make light work well which one's right you know So the Bible never contradicts itself. Uh, What else do we have here? I want you to understand that we cannot just pick snippets from Proverbs. When you're reading the book of Proverbs, sometimes the temptation is to go, well, I have this situation in my life right now, and so I'm going to find a proverb somewhere that fits into the, what i'm going through and so oh okay there there it is and so what we do is we run into the danger of taking the book of proverbs out of context we have to read proverbs as a whole as the big narrative is to understand what was the author's intent when he wrote all of these together and so we we build them all together so that when, when we do read that one little snippet it's in the context of the whole and so often we, we have these little things on the back of our toilet, you know, that like say, oh, it's like this little nice thing, nice saying for the day, and we take it out of context. We can't read the book of Proverbs like that. It has to be over a whole. Uh, how, how else? Okay, here's, here's a big one. How many of you ever heard that the book of Proverbs is a book of promises? I have. I was actually taught that. It's wrong. The book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's not a book where we can go, God, you said this right here, so, okay, two plus two equals four, right? If we were to kind of mathematically turn the book of Proverbs into an equation. And we read it like that, and so we go to these situations like Proverbs 22, where it says, train your children up in the way of the Lord, and they will not depart from it. And so we we claim that, okay, God, that's a promise, and that is wisdom, but it's not a mathematical equation. It, It... Let me explain it this way, because some of us are saying, well then, if the book of Proverbs is not a bunch of promises, why does it give us factual statements? Here's how how we should approach this. If I were to exercise every day, (laughs) which I never do, but if I were to be like avid, and and the goal of my exercising is not to be healthy, but it's to look a certain way. Now most of you guys are going, you don't need to exercise, you already look awesome, right? (laughs) But if my goal is to get a certain look on my body, that is not guaranteed if I work out that I'm gonna look like Brad Pitt in Fight Club, as much as I want that to happen. Now, will it, is it wise for me to work out every day? Absolutely. Will it change me? Absolutely. But are the guarantee is that if I work out, am I gonna look like this? No. Here, here's another example. If I study for a test, and if I study as hard as I can, it doesn't guarantee that I'm going to ace the test and I'm going to get every single answer on that test correctly. Now, is it wise for me to take a, te- to take a test without studying? No, because I'll probably flunk. But it doesn't guarantee that I'll get an A. What it does is it points me to a truth that says, hey, this is more about changing you, your character. Becoming like this more than it is an exact science result. Does that make sense? And so when we look at the book of Proverbs and go, oh, it's a book of promises. I did this and I did this. How come this didn't exactly happen? We point our fists at God and go, it says in your word here. And God was saying, I wasn't trying to get you to learn a mathematical equation about my word. What I was trying to get you to do is change you from the inside out. See, when we study, it does something to us. We learn, it changes our perspective. It leads us toward the right path. It creates wisdom in us, but it doesn't make, a, it doesn't uh, have a mathematical equation. And, and so we've almost sometimes turned the book of Proverbs into like Christian spells. I mean, that's a little weird to say. You know, but I mean, we almost do that. It's like, oh, it's the Christian version of, of, of spells, you know? If I, I add a little bit of this and add a little bit of that, and poof, you know, I'm going to get obedient children. It doesn't work like that. The book of Proverbs is a heart book, it's not a book of facts. The book of Proverbs is about our orientation toward God. what it's trying to do and what it calls us to is saying, examine your heart. Look at what's inside. Does it line up to who God is? And if it doesn't, make the adjustments, okay? So let's get into the book of Proverbs. Um, I want to first also say, just for another teaching moment, is that you cannot get wisdom without getting God. If we, if we were to take this book of Proverbs and say, let's just apply it to anybody and everybody, it doesn't really work that way. The Buddhist will not be able to read Proverbs and go, oh, I get true wisdom from this. Because if they don't have a surrendered heart to God, truism only comes by knowing God, by laying down our heart. And that's really the call of what Proverbs is doing is saying, It calls out, we're going to read here in a moment, calls out in the streets, hey, anybody who listen, anybody, you fools, you people who don't know anything, anybody, will you listen, will you come and align yourself with what is good? And so this goes back to the question we asked, what's the good life? Is it so I get all the things that I want? Is it so that nothing wrong will happen in my life? Is it so that my 401K will be protected? Is it all these things that we kind of use the good life and we see that the book of Proverbs doesn't really kind of answer the good life in the same way. What it does is it says a good life is a godly life. How different is that? How different is that to us just, now, man, a godly life could be sitting on the beach, sipping on a pina colada. There's time for that in godly life, but if that's all there is, there's so much more to what a good life is, and Book of Proverbs is going to help us see that this morning. All right, let's. You guys are right. We're done kind of with the teaching part. You guys okay? Did you get through that? All right. So here's what we have to do this morning. We have to ask the question: What is wisdom? What is wisdom? If if we're saying this morning. What is the good life? The good life is a godly life. The book of Proverbs is gonna help us understand what a godly life is, and what Proverbs does is point us toward wisdom. What is wisdom? Is it somebody who's really smart and knows all the facts about everything? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know some really intellectually smart people who are really not wise. You ever met somebody like that? It's like they have all the, the book knowledge. They could tell you all the facts. They could, they watch Jeopardy all day, you know, and they're able to answer it before Alex Trebek says anything. But for the, for some reason, there's this disconnect between their knowledge and their applying of the knowledge. Or you might know some people who, no offense, but it might be pretty simple, you know, it might be seem like they don't have all the facts, but. They just know in their heart how to be wise living. They make wise choices. And so, if wisdom is not necessarily just knowledge, what is it? King Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs. He was a son of David, and he was the one who built the temple, and he asked God for wisdom. For all of his knowledge, and for all of his, what seemingly understanding would be, it's, it's almost tragic when you read where Solomon ends up sometimes. Look at Ecclesiastes, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And this is Solomon writing about life. The most wise, probably human, to have ever lived, we would, we would attribute to him. And Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded, expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Man, that's kind of depressing. Who, how is it that a guy who would seemingly have a good life I mean the richest you know like movies are made after him Solomon's temple's treasure right like Indiana Jones kind of movies are made about this he he had no lack he had anything that he ever wanted everything was at his disposal he seemed to like know everything and then he writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 he says all is meaningless well what's the point see we're asking the question this morning what is wisdom wisdom is not knowledge Wisdom is applying knowledge to our lives. Wisdom is obedience in that knowledge. Wisdom is a surrendered heart that says, okay, I'm able to see that this is true and this is prudent in this situation and not just be able to recognize it, but to be able to apply it to our lives. For all of Solomon's knowledge, you'll see over and over and over again, he didn't apply knowledge. He just kind of did his own thing at moments. And then he comes to this conclusion that all life is meaningless. Wisdom is not just knowing what is godly, it's living, thinking, and emoting godliness. It's honoring God through obedience with a surrendered heart. You ever heard this old this saying? Knowledge is knowing, a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, right? Technically, a tomato is a fruit. It's got seeds, grows a you know Scientists would say, that's a fruit. That's how scientists sound, by the way. But a wise person says, don't put it in a fruit salad. It's not sweet. It doesn't taste like that. This leads us to a good life. So, with me, turn to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not too long. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And what we're going to do for the remainder of our time is we're going to look at the contrast between wisdom and foolishness. Because we're asking ourselves, what is the good life? And we've already come to the conclusion that the good life is a godly life. And we said in order to obtain a godly life, we need wisdom. And so what we're gonna do is this morning look at the contrast between what wisdom says and what foolishness says. So if you'll start with me in verse one of chapter nine. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And this is what she, they say Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Verse seven Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear, we've heard this one before, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Look at verse 11. For by me, your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now here's the change we, we see in verse 13. We saw, we saw the call of wisdom. Now we hear the call of foolishness. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing She sits at the door of her house, she takes a seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. There's two voices that are calling out. They're very similar, right? They both say, hey, anybody who's out there, listen, listen, I have something to share with you. It's almost like if you've ever taken a cruise, anybody ever taken a cruise before, and you get off the cruise ship, and immediately what happens? Everybody's like, "Hey, hey, Mr., hey, lady, you know, come over here. We have this this thing to, to tell you and this thing to sell you and go on this adventure and go on this adventure." And it's like you're getting bombarded by all these people trying to get your money so that you can go, you know, on an excursion for the Hour that the, the cruise ship gives you. And so you're all stressed out and you're like, which one do I choose? Who, you know, I, I've never met this guy. And, you're, and then you start following the crowd. You know, well, I guess this seems right over here. Everybody's going over here. No one's getting killed. So I think that'll be okay. And then, and then you see these guys over there. And oh, those poor schmucks, you know? And then what happens? You get back to the cruise ship and then people get together and you're like, how was your excursion? How was your excursion? Oh, it was terrible. We paid, you know, a thousand pesos. And and all we did was sit there and look at an iguana, you know, it was horrible. And then this guy's like, man, I went to the best guy. He he made us tacos. He did all this stuff. We went on jet skis and it was free, you know, and you're like, what the heck? I went to the wrong tourist guy. And that's almost like what's happening here. You have these two people, you're getting off the cruise ship and they're saying, hey, anybody who will listen. But the problem is sometimes we're like, well, which one do we choose? How do we know? You know what I love about the difference between foolishness and wisdom? There's this line in the Lord of the Rings, I always quote the Lord of the Rings, so if you're gonna be in this church for a while, just get used to it. But the hobbits, you know, the little guys, the, the halflings, they meet Aragorn for the first time, Strider, Strider, right? And, and he's leading them on this adventure to Rivendell to meet the elves where they're going to get wise counsel. But he's, this, he's kind of this foreboding dude. He's really serious, and he's, he's war-torn, and he look you know, all the things. And they, they, they're, just, they're not sure because of the way he looks. And Frodo says this, I think, brilliant phrase. He, they say, how do we know we can trust him? And he says, I think a servant of the enemy would look fairer and feel fouler. And I think that's true when we compare wisdom and foolishness is that wisdom doesn't always appear right away as like, ooh, sexy and beautiful and all these kind of things, right? And like, ooh, it's not all shiny, but it feels fair. It feels right. And it is beauty personified. The thing about foolishness, it looks awesome, right? Right? It's got all the brochures, all the glossy brochures. All, it's all word perfectly right. It entices you. It says all these things to draw you in. But there's something about it where you're like, yeah, what's the catch? And we have to be able to allow the Holy Spirit, when we're at that fork in the road, we say, which way do we go? God, show me. Don't let me just pick the shiny brochure. Help me to pick what is beautiful, not just sexy. You know, my wife, she's, she is sexy, okay? And I'm not trying to be crude this morning. She's a sexy woman. But what I love about her most is that she's beautiful. And beauty encapsulates all those things, not just looks, but the inside, the inwardness. And so that helps us at times kind of differentiate between the two. So let's, let's talk about these contrasts between the two voices. Let's go back to Proverbs, verse nine. Verse one, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter nine, verse one. It says, wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. Now, I wanna say right away some things as we're contrasting wisdom. The beautiful thing about wisdom is that it is strong. It is truthful. And she builds her house in honoring. And, and if you'll see here, it says that she has seven pillars. Now, whenever you read in scripture, you know, the number seven, I'm not, we're not in the numerology, but it is this perfect picture of perfection. But also in this time for someone to have seven pillars in their home would be an expansive house. It would be quite extravagant. And the picture that God is using here when we look at wisdom is not like it's this tiny little area that we all have to try to, it's saying it's wide, it's available to all and it's trustworthy, okay? So that's one of the things we understand about wisdom. What else? Look at verse six. She says, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom challenges. Wisdom calls us to transformation. Remember when I was saying the book of Proverbs is not just a book of promises that if we do this, we get all this awesome stuff it actually calls us out and says, examine your heart, leave your foolish ways behind. This is the path of godliness. This is the path of a good life. So it it calls us, and so when you're ever wrestling with this, is this foolish or is this wise, you can ask yourself the question, is there a, a personal transformation for me to be more like Jesus in this situation? Is wisdom calling you to that? Verse 10, look at that with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We often read over that scripture so many times because we've heard it preached a whole bunch of times. I'm going to read it again though. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What wisdom offers here is divine insight into who God is. It it offers us us this quality of life, not quantity, which foolishness kind of does, this true quality of life through a surrendered heart, through a heart that says, Lord, orientate me toward you, not toward things. So she's beautiful. She's not seductive. Now let's look at foolishness. Verse 13. The woman folly is loud, she is seductive and knows nothing. Ouch, that's kind of mean, right? But if you look at what this is, she's obnoxious. It's almost, the other versions don't just use the word woman, they, they use prostitute or harlot. And it's like this woman on the street corner kind of bragging, hey, come on over here, it's going to be exciting, blah, 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 all these kind of things. And it's just obnoxious and it's loud and it's brash. And yes, it gets your attention, but it's just unsettling. It's so opposite to the way wisdom calls out. There's beauty in it. Foolishness is just obnoxious and seductive. She invites through seduction, not hospitality. Look at this in verse 14. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Do you remember how wisdom did it before she sends out and invites this lady here sits at kind of the front porch and is like, check it out, everybody. <laughs> this is awesome. It's like you see the car spinning at the dealership with the balloons on it. If you're a used car salesman, we love you so much this morning. But she's just kind of is like flaunting it. It's, she's like, She's advertising. Verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. There's only temporary fulfillment in foolishness. Let me give you an example of this. So we just bought a Mini Cooper like, like a month ago. Uh, If you own a Mini Cooper, I'm very sorry. So, the reason why I say this, when we lived in Houston, we bought a Mini Cooper. We thought it was the coolest, like, little fun, you know, we're gonna be different than everybody. You get inside, it feels like a cockpit of a jet engine, and it's like, it feels like a go-kart when you're driving, and it brings me back to my youth days, you know, like, woo! And, and for all its, all its glossiness and seductiveness, it is a terrible car. <laughs> and you think we would have learned our lesson. So we bought this one in Houston. Marianne's driving on the freeway. The engine seizes of it, overheats. The engine block melts, and it's just totaled. So <laughs> we moved to California. What did we do when we needed a car when we moved here? We bought a Mini Cooper. Why? Because it was such a great experience this first time? No! Because it was sexy. It's fun to drive. It looks, everyone's like, ooh, you got a Mini Cooper. (laughs) Not, I mean, I'm talking a week later, the engine light comes on. And I'm like, okay, it's probably nothing. Take it back. The guy can't figure out. He resets it. Ryan McBride, if you ever need a good mechanic, and introduced me to a good mechanic. The guy goes, oh, it was just a sensor, I reset it. Driving it along, all of a sudden I notice oil's leaking on the ground. I go, what the heck? Okay, the mechanic must have done this, right? Take it back to the mechanic, he's all, no, I'm sorry to say, I didn't do this." And this guy's a trustworthy guy. He said, actually, it's gonna be about $3,000 worth of, of work. I have to pull the whole engine out of the car just to fix the oil leak. And he goes, he goes I don't even think I should fix it. I think you should just get rid of it. That's when you know a mechanic's honest, right? (laughs) So I'm like, and you would have thought I would have learned my lesson by buying a Mini Cooper. But no. What did it do? It said, hey. Stolen bread is pleasant to eat. Look at me. I'm red and I'm white and I got little fog lights on the front. Everyone will talk about me when, you, when I drive. <laughs> it was so foolish of me to buy this car. So what did, I, what did we do? We go, all right, we'll sell it. So we sold it, lost money on the car, and bought an, this piece of junk car now, I mean piece of junk, but it's this, it's this little reliable car that's going to last forever. No one is going to walk up to my car and go, dang your salary I guess. <laughs> what they're going to go is like, oh I need to tithe more when they look at this car. <laughs> but it's wisdom. Why? It's paid off not making payments on it? It's going to run forever? (laughs) Is it sexy? No. (sighs) Mm. Last thing I want to say is turn back a a chapter with me to chapter 8. Where am I? Okay. Chapter 8. And we're going to read through verse 22 all the way to 31. And before I read this, I want to preface this morning, again, the goal of living a good life is a godly life. How do we get a godly life? Is by making wisdom, the Bible says, make wisdom your sister. There's this intimacy, there's this knowledge, we're we're kin, we're family. How do I live a godly life? I make wisdom part of who I am. How do I get wisdom? I read it through the book of Proverbs. And what I want to say to us this morning is wisdom is not just this ethereal, kind of nebulous, you know, kind of, I think I got wisdom. Where? It was over there, you know. I want to tell you this morning, why, why does the, the Bible use wisdom so much to talk about it in like these pronouns? She, sister. I think because wisdom is a person. Look at, look at chapter eight, verse 22. This is speaking about how the, the, the universe was made. The Lord, and, and, and wisdom is speaking of itself here. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Is this starting to sound familiar to you? Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, If we were to turn over to Colossians, where Paul addresses the church in Colossae, you would see him speak of the supremacy of Christ and make a case for the the grandeur and the the godness of who Jesus was. And Jesus makes, and Paul makes similar claims that he was there in the beginning. And here we read in Proverbs 8, this foreshadowing of of wisdom being a person. And I want to say to you this morning, our pursuit of wisdom is a pursuit of a person, and that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. You know, the beautiful thing about Jesus, when we make unwise decisions, when we mess up and we choose the way of folly, when we choose the sexy car, when we, or, or it's, maybe it's not even just something so as benign as that, maybe it's like sinful things And we get seduced by the world and we get seduced by all the Instagram and the social media and all these things and and we go, oh God, I messed up. I made such a foolish choice. The beauty about when we pursue wisdom as a person is Jesus is that Jesus has gone through every single temptation. He's gone through every trial. He's gone through every single one of these scenarios and he always chose the wise choice for us on our behalf. So when we mess up, when we have this situation at home or with work, whatever it is, we come back to Jesus and go, thank you so much that you chose ultimately the wise choice and my, and my righteousness is in you. This might be a little cheesy, but I just want to end with this this morning. We're talking about wise, being wise, being having wisdom. And you know, if we read the narrative of, of Jesus being born, we see that there were Three wise men who looked for Jesus. They pursued him. They followed the star that rests over Bethlehem. Wise men. And I want to say to us this morning, we need to be like those wise men. Wisdom would say pursue Jesus Don't just live a Christian life so that you're saying, oh, I thought the book of Proverbs was like this, and it was kind of an instruction manual for Christian living, and so if I do this and this, then I'll have this, and I'll be able to sit on the beach and have my pina colada, I'll have my 401k, because look, I worked hard, the Bible said all these kind of things, I want my kids to be a certain way, I want all this so that I can say I lived a good life. Those are good things. But the goal is that we orientate our heart is that we become more like God and that we pursue Jesus. Can we be wise men this morning? Can we say, Lord will you show me where I've pursued foolishness? I went for the easy option, I went for the sexy option, I went for all these things, the the enticement of stolen bread, I didn't have to pay for it, this is cool. Where that kind of has snuck into my heart. Can we say, Lord will you surrender me this morning? make me more like Jesus, will you pour wisdom? The beautiful thing is, James says, if any of us lacks wisdom, what do we do? All we gotta do is ask. And God will graciously give us wisdom. I lack wisdom, I'm asking.